So um, you don't have to worry about me cutting anything short because y'all are stuck here anyway. So I figured I might as well hit the ground running. So first of all, who here is familiar with the nine dot puzzle? Anyone heard of that before? Ah, oh, goody. All right. So is this going to come off? All right, cool. Symmetry is not really my thing. So we're going to try to get this correct. Starting to look familiar to anyone? Kind of, sort of? Not really? Who here has seen this before? Who here kind of knows, like you don't know how to solve it, but like you kind of know the general solution, kind of, sort of? Anybody? Who here has never seen this before in your entire life? You have no idea? Oh, wow, this is great. Okay. Um, raise your hands again, whoever does, has never seen this before. I just kind of want to see. All right, Linford, how about you just come on up here then? <laughs> ah, no problem, no problem. So while you're doing that, <clears throat> I will explain the rules to you, and we're going to see if you can, uh, you can solve this. Hold up. All right, here's your weapon of choice. All right, so, oh, uh, hold up, forgot to mention. Um, if you can solve this in 30 seconds or less on your first try, I will give you $50 but you have to buy me dinner. Deal? <laughs> I didn't, deal or no deal? Deal. deal? All right, cool. So, I'm really hoping he's not faking it and knows exactly how to do it. So, Linford, the idea here is you have to connect these nine dots with four straight lines. And when you put the marker to the dot to begin your drawing your lines, it cannot leave the board. So once you put it on here, you have to draw your line, four straight lines, and connect all of those dots in 30 seconds or less. Okay? So, does that make sense? Do you have any questions? Uh, no, it don't make sense. Doesn't make sense. All right, perfect. So you're going to start in three, two, one, go. And you get one shot at this. Oh, good. Nice. <laughs> nice. That is a straight line right there. All right. So that was only three. That was three. Just one long one. All right. Thank you. You can sit down. Appreciate your example here. All right. So this, uh, this puzzle right here is actually used uh, in psychology quite a bit. Um, because it illustrates a really, really cool phenomenon with the human brain. And that is that we like to categorize information. And so when we see something like this, we automatically create boundaries and limits inside of our mind. So what Lifford did here is he automatically assumed that he could not exit outside of these dots right here. You got all this space. You got infinite amounts of space around this, but our brains communicate to us, hey, stay within these boundaries, even though there are no boundaries. So this is kind of a, it's used as an illustration for our perception of reality, our, our map of the world. This is kind of like our comfort zone. This is where we, we, are, we like to stay. This is what we know. We're, we're familiar with this. We know it fits in here. We know what we can and cannot do. 
So that's kind of the illustration. We're going to kind of come back to that as we go. Okay. I want to read you two stories. And these are contrasting stories. The first story is this. <clears throat> so Jesus uh, is just coming out of Judea, and he is going to Galilee. And he picks up here. It says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is in Hebrew called Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down in certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the waters. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. So, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on this day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. And he answered them, He who made me well is the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. But the man, and, the, and they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus find, found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not, do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, this is a really interesting story, and I really like it. I'm just going to kind of fix a little bit of this here. Um, the one thing that stands out to me with this story is, well, there's a lot of things that stand out to me. Um, Justin, could you help me with something real quick? Just basically take these and make them a little bit smaller and a little bit closer in so the, this square is a little bit smaller so we have more room. Just all of these. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> so there's, there's this pool here, and Jesus would have been pretty familiar with this. It was a well-known place. Um, it was something that was pretty common. There was a lot of people that would have known about it. And this is a, it's actually these pools, there's actually kind of two pools. They were two um, kind of trapezoid shapes with porches around them. There was four porches and then a fifth porch kind of in between the two. I was kind of connecting the two pools. And there's, it's about 20 to 25 feet uh, wide. So Jesus comes here, and we're not, we're not sure how long this man has been sitting here. 38 years is a really long time, but we don't know, is this like, you know, show up on the weekend kind of thing, or like try to get lucky, or is this like live there? Um, so we don't know how long exactly he's been there. But I just want you to notice the hopelessness of this situation. There's no one to help him get into the water. In almost 40 years, no one has cared 
long enough to stay there with him and help him. So here you have an unpredictable source of healing, this pool, that affects only a few people. And this man has no hope of being healed anyway because he has no one to help him get into the pool. The situation is utterly hopeless and futile. And Jesus walks through this multitude of people to this one man. You know, he's like, excuse me, come through, excuse me. All right, here we go. One man, multitude, one man. You get the picture? Kind of interesting. Why does Jesus go through this multitude of people, stepping over top of people, all these things, to this one man? And I kind of wonder if it wasn't because this man was alone. You know, if, if most people needed help getting into this pool, and this is one of the only men who was there with no one there with him, maybe, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I don't know. But that's, that's something that I'm curious about. So Jesus comes up to this man and asks him a very interesting question. He says, uh, do you wish to get well? And notice this man's response, because he immediately places the responsibility on external forces as to why he's not already well. Well, I don't have anyone to help me get into the pool. And he misses the fact that this is an invitation, because he doesn't realize who Jesus is. Jesus asks if he wants to be healed, and the man responds with his problems. He responds with why he cannot be healed, or what is stopping him. And this aversion to responsibility is actually a thread throughout this story. And we'll touch on this as we go, but it's quite interesting. And Jesus' question is very blunt here, but notice what it stresses. It stresses divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Jesus is not about to sidestep this man's will to heal him. And that's important. So why did Jesus ask this question? Do you want to get well? Notice what he does here. One fell swoop. Jesus completely stretches this man out of his box. This is completely unknown territory. He has no idea what is happening here. Why would Jesus ask this? Seems like a silly question under the circumstances. You know, he's been here for 38 years. Well, yeah, wouldn't he kind of want to be healed? I mean, sounds kind of obvious. Perhaps this man didn't even have any skills. If he's been sick for this long, there's a good chance that he's lost his trade or he was never taught a trade. He has no one around him. He's alone. A social outcast, potentially. Why would he not want to be healed? Well, let's speculate for a second. Perhaps this man has grown accustomed to his disability. Perhaps he would prefer, catch this, Perhaps he would prefer the known pain of where he is at to the unknown terror that healing would offer and this new, the new possibilities and new responsibilities. And the irony of this is just incredible. Here you have this hopeless situation, this man with no hope, and you have Jesus, the life giver, the ultimate healer, coming to him. And in this man's answer, it appears that he wants to be healed. Um, and so, bang, Jesus heals him, just like that. And we don't really necessarily know, but if he's been sick for a long time, he's been laying here for a very long extended period of time, there's a good chance that he's probably not the most fit 
So the, good, the fact that he could just grab his bed and just like march down the road, we don't know, but potentially this healing actually involved a lot more than just healing of illness. This could have been a muscle strength that was added to his body. We don't know, but it's just kind of an interesting, interesting thought, uh, potentially. And so what, we kind of know the rest of the story here, but uh, the Pharisees don't really like this. They have, uh, yeah, kind of like Carl said, they find a way to not be happy about it. Um, and uh, he goes to, Jesus goes and, and pursues him and finds him, makes sure that he knows who has healed him. And, uh, and then this man betrays Jesus. It's very interesting. We'll get back to that. But let, let's circle back here in just a second to this question. But before we do that, I just, I just don't know. My brain works in weird ways. So, like, all right, imagine, imagine you're like Matt buddies with this dude. So he's been here for 38 years. He's got a little time on you. So he's laying here. This is kind of his spot. You're, like, there with whatever's your problem for, you know, maybe 20 years. So you've kind, of, you kind of been hanging out, getting to know each other, talking it up, chatting about the weekend, shooting the breeze. And then, you know, you're, it's all good. And then this random guy just walks up to your friend, to your guy right beside you who's been there, and says, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. All right. What would you think? I mean, you'd be sitting there like, are you like were you faking it this whole time? Like, what, what just happened here? Because this is not, look, look at the, there's not a commotion necessarily that happens here, it doesn't look like. It almost looks like it's surprising and almost secretive. It's very interesting. I don't know, that's just a weird thought my mind had. But I just, uh, yeah. All right, anyway, what was Jesus really asking here? And this is kind of one of the observations that I found important. What is Jesus really asking this man? Do you want to get well? He is asking, well, this question, it points beyond just healing. Notice this man, healing for this man meant a new life. It meant new responsibilities, new challenges, new workload. It meant a whole, complete change out of his comfort zone. Completely different. He was not, doesn't sound like he was terribly comfortable with that. And here's this invitation for a new life, physically and spiritually. And this man's response to this invitation is interesting. Like I said before, he responds with what is currently stopping him from getting there. Do we ever do this? Where Jesus gives us an invitation and we respond with why we don't already have what the invitation is offering. We respond maybe with our problems. Jesus says, do you want to get to know me? And we say, oh, yes, God, love to get to know you. But here's the thing, work Stressful, crazy, tons and tons of time working. God, could you just come over here real quick? Could you just take care of this situation for me? And if you could do that, then uh, yes, we could definitely. I could Just help me into this pool a little bit, would you? And we've totally missed the fact that he is inviting us. He's giving us an invitation. If God would just do this for me, then yes, I could do that. Jesus is inviting us with a question. So, <clears throat> I know Jetson pretty well. We work together for a while. Maybe we know each other a little too well sometimes. But uh, imagine, imagine if I just cruise over here with Jetson. Hey, Jetson, how's it going? 
So, you know, you and me, we kind of like we're, we kind of know each other, right? I'd like really, I would really like to get to know you, like really, like deep. And Jetson responds with, "Dude, that'd be great, but here's the thing: marriage is like it takes a lot of time. We just had a kid. Like you don't even, Austin, you don't even get it. There is so much responsibility that has to happen. We're working on our house. We're doing this. Ooh, I got it, Austin." If you could come and babysit and help us work on the house for like, I don't know, 10 hours a week, or just, if you could just help us solve this problem over here, then yeah, we could, I could, yeah, we could get, maybe go out for supper some evening. That would work. I don't think I would like that. Do you get the picture? Invitation, what are, how do we respond to that? And I'm not saying we shouldn't voice our problems here. I'm saying let's not miss the invitations. Here's a few challenges that I noticed. One thing that stuck out to me is this. Am I comfortable with a spiritual disability that I have? Does the known discomfort that I'm in currently feel safer than the unknown terror that Jesus is guiding me through? Does my box of reality prevent God from working? Because I will not let him step outside of that. I think God is continually, I know he is, he's continually trying to expand our experience with him and our relationship with him. What is our response to that? We can look at this man's response. Look at how this man responds to this healing. It's a little amusing, actually, if you think about it. There's just this command, this, like, authority that demands obedience. And he responds, you know, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. All right, he gets up, picks up his pallet, his bed. He's, well, he said walk, so I guess we're just going to walk around a little bit. What's he doing? He obeys until it gets him in trouble. It's very interesting. After all, this is a whole new realm of possibility. He's not comfortable with it. It doesn't look like. And so I have to ask, why did Jesus heal this man? Why did he heal him? Because if you look at this man's response, there is not a single aspect of this man's response that shows gratitude, thankfulness, belief. He does not follow Jesus. He does not thank Jesus. If a man just healed you, after 38 years, you'd think you would follow him and see who he is. That's power. What's he do? He goes to what he knows. He gets up, and he carries on with his life. So why did Jesus heal him? I found a quote that I think sums up the answer of that. This is by Rodney A. Whitaker. It says, Jesus is healing one who is totally unworthy. And in doing so, he reveals God's graciousness. We have revealed God's love, which embraces even one who betrays him. The light of God's glory is shining at its brightest in this manifestation for his love for his enemies. And maybe the saddest part about this whole experience is this man and the Jews it seems like they completely miss what this miracle is actually pointing to. And it's pointing 
to Jesus as the Son of God. And they seem to miss that. And another thing that stands out to me is this, this just, I just almost cannot wrap my mind around this. But someone can believe that God will heal them, be healed, and then carry on with life as though nothing has happened. He just like, they, we, we can just like, God can miraculously do something in our life, and we can just carry on with our day to day as though it was kind of just the norm. I believe Jesus is incredibly hurt by how often we do this. So, for example, all right, if, let's say it's like, uh, let's say it's like my birthday or something, and Caleb and I know each other decently well, so let's say Caleb makes this amazing gift. Like, he's been working on this gift for a long time. It's specifically for me, maybe it's like something that's like very personalized, it's very special, he's been working, he's anticipating this a lot. So Caleb comes, he says, all right, awesome. Happy birthday. And I'm just like, thanks, see you, bye. Like, that would, that'd be rough. Like, here's this, all this anticipation, this, this, this pleasure of giving this gift, and it's completely, like, just like, accepted, thank you, bye. And like, I thought about this for me, I was like, whew, like, I just drove 11 hours from Pennsylvania, like, last weekend, like, oh, wow. Amazing traffic, great weather, car didn't break down. It was a miracle. It was great. Thank you, God. See ya. God's like, what? <laughs> like, you, you don't see all this stuff that I just like did to make, to make your life like better? And that's a small example, but I think, do we just think that this is the norm sometimes? We maybe miss the fact that God is working a miracle in our life. And we just treat it like another event. What is our posture towards God? Are there miracles in your life that you need to thank Jesus for? Are there things that he is doing or has done that you have just accepted but haven't actually thanked him for? Are you comfortable with your spiritual disabilities? So that's the first story. We're going to move to the next story. And I love this story. This story is in Mark 10, if you would like to turn there. It is found in uh, verse 36. This is Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Jesus has just had a recently, has just had an interesting conversation with his disciples. And they, they came, it says, they came to Jericho. This is verse 30, or 46, excuse me, of chapter 10 in Mark. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, so they're, they're leaving the city, with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped 
and said, Call him here. And so they called the blind man and said to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling you. I find it interesting that those were the same people like 30 seconds ago being like, Shh, stop. And now they're like, Anyway. Um, so, take courage, stand up, he is calling you, Bartimaeus. So, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And asking him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, following him in the road. Oh, I love this story. So let's get the picture here before we dig deep into this. The picture is that Jesus has come to Jericho. He is now leaving Jericho. So Bartimaeus has probably heard him come through. If there was a crowd, he probably knew something was happening when he came in. Now he's leaving. This is like the last shot Bartimaeus has. Jesus is leaving. And Jesus doesn't notice him either. So Bartimaeus kind of like, he's probably panicking a little bit as this is happening because he's like, uh, like this might be like my last and only opportunity in my entire life to get this. Um, you know, and he's leaving. So he cries out to Jesus. And let's notice the sequence of events here. Bartimaeus has to initiate instead of Jesus. Unlike the first story, Jesus does not initiate an interaction. He requires Bartimaeus to come to him. Jesus does not go to him. First, Jesus requires Bartimaeus to come verbally, by verbally um, speaking to Jesus, and then physically, by asking him to come to Jesus. And Jesus does not offer suggestions. I really like that. What do you want me to do for you? He wants us to voice what we want, what we desire. And we don't know, but, and I didn't do like a word study on this, so I don't necessarily know if this is translation or what, but it says he wanted to regain his sight. So I don't know, did he lose it before? And now he wants to, I don't know. But that's just something I noticed. I didn't really look into it. So let's look at something here. Let's first notice the call. Call is mentioned three times in this. And this is important. Bartimaeus does not have to be told twice. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He is calling you. Jesus is calling you. And similar to when Jesus called his disciples. They, they left their, ship, like their, their ships and their nets and everything. They left that behind and they followed Jesus. And there's a symbolism of leaving the old life behind. This is who I was. I'm leaving that. And I'm moving and I'm following Jesus and I'm adopting this new life. And that same symbolism happens here. And it is with, this, with his cloak. And I forgot my blanket, but mom... Thankfully, had one in our car. Wow, this thing is hideous. Whew. All right. All right, so this guy's cloak. He's hanging out. This, now, understand something about beggars. They were given this cloak, usually whenever they 
presented their disability or whenever it happened. This was oftentimes their only possession. And usually, no, pretty much always, this was pretty much their only method of gaining income. Okay? Only possession doubles as like, you know, warmth and all this stuff and the only way to actually make money. And so, I kind of misunderstood this first time I read this, because I pictured this, you know, Jesus! He's not running fast enough that he, like, left his clothes behind. That's not what's happening. What's actually happening here is they would, uh, this is what beggars would do. They would, they would lay their cloak out in front of them. And this is really in my way. And they would sit here to collect the coins that people threw. He was not necessarily wearing this cloak. All right, so picture this. All right, so <clears throat> hopefully y'all can see kind of back there. Anyway, um, so there's two. Let me give you two illustrations here. So all right, so Bartimaeus is sitting here. All right, cool. Here's Jesus. Cries out to Jesus. Jesus says, "Bring him over here." Bartimaeus, like, okay, okay. So he's sitting here. He's like, "You sure? Are you sure that was Jesus? Like, I was just getting comfortable here. Are you positive?" Are you sure? You're not, like, playing a trick on me here, are you? Like, you're not going to call me over there and be like, ha, <laughs> got you. It wasn't actually Jesus. Like, you're sure? All right, cool. All right, give me a second. Hold up. Yep, I'm coming. I felt like I dropped one. Hold on. It's not. All right. Can someone come guide me, please? I don't want to just, like, bump into stuff. It's like a crowd of people here. That's posture number one, okay? That's not what happened. Notice Bartimaeus' posture. Okay? Option number two. This is really hard to do in Sunday class. <laughs> Option number two is Bartimaeus sitting here. He cries out to Jesus, and Jesus says, call him here. And the crowd relays this message, and you have an immediate response from Bartimaeus. The crowd says, get up, he is calling you. We're talking like... Stuff flying, he's running. It's like four-minute mile kind of stuff. He is going to Jesus. Coins went flying, cloak, say goodbye. He's going to Jesus. This posture is very, very important. Notice this. Action, 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 action. No hesitation. Bang, he's going. No second guesses, nothing. And catch this. This was all or nothing. This was all or nothing. Either, either he was healed and he was no longer a beggar, a blind man, or he was left with nothing. Either he was healed or he was left with nothing. He was all in. There was no, like, backup plan. And I want us to catch this. Notice the contrast between these two stories. found a quote that I really, really like. Our blind and begging condition makes us ready, but it is the call of Jesus that rises us to our feet. And I really like that. I, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful illustration. Because there was, there was no, like, hesitation. I imagine Bartimaeus just being like, like, he's going. Like, crowd bumping into people. Like, it, he's going. Get out of the way or guide me or something. Like, Going. Really, really like that. 
So what happens next? What does Jesus say to Bartimaeus? Someone, what does he say? What do you want me to do for you? Permission is sacred. Permission is sacred. And God will not change your life unless you give him the authority to do so. Very important. And I don't know why, but I just, when I first started reading this, I kind of thought this was like a somber occasion, you know. Jesus, call him over here. And like Bartimaeus comes, he's like, all right, what do you want me to do for you? And I really don't think that's what was going on here. I'm pretty sure Jesus just had like a huge grin on his face as he saw Bartimaeus, like he's coming, like banging into people. Like Jesus was probably sitting back and watching this, just like so excited to give this man a new life. I just love that picture of Jesus, like from Jesus' perspective, watching Bartimaeus, like he's coming through the crowd. I really like that. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. Jesus asks a question that goes straight to the heart. And Bartimaeus answers from the heart. He wants a changed life. And that is what he gets. So you're probably getting some ideas here. You want to talk about uncomfortable, unknown? Try making your way through a crowd to one man while you're blind. That's unknown. That is outside of the box of comfort. Didn't stop Bartimaeus. <laughs> and so Jesus heals him. Go. Your faith has made you well. Isn't that an interesting statement? So, like, who did the healing here? Did, the, did like, says your faith has made you well, so did Jesus heal him, or is this guy's faith, or... I don't think that's the right question, but I just kind of think it's interesting. Because I think the, what this emphasizes is the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. They have to work together. Very different from the first command in the first story. Very different. But that's not the end of the story. Immediately regained his sight. Then what did he do? He went home to his family, said, hey, guys, I can see, got a job, worked hard, you know, retired and bought a little house by the, by the salt sea and just kind of retired and had a good life. He went to the temple and said, no, <laughs> no, not even close. What does he do? It says he followed him on the road. Wow. Okay. Let me explain this here. So I did not understand the significance of this. But Christians, before they were called Christians, were called followers of the way. Followers of the way. And so this sentence, this little portion at the very end, is not accidental. Because following Jesus on the way meant following Jesus to the cross. That's what it meant. If you were a follower of the way, you were following towards the cross. And he followed him on the road. I don't think that's an accidental statement. And while this is a little bit of a crude example, we really like to stay inside of our box. Like, we really like our box. 
we know its edges, we know how many lines it takes, there's nine dots, and you could do it in five. It's our little perception of reality. It's our structure, it's our map of the world. And we don't really like when people stretch outside of that. You ever argued with someone, and you're like obviously right, and they're like obviously wrong, but they think they're obviously right and you're obviously wrong? Both of you have a box, and neither one is you willing to get out of it, to look at the other guy's box. And most times, pretty much all the times, God does not fit inside of our box. And so usually what we try to do is we try to interpret God and what is happening in kind of a way that makes sense, and we can kind of fit it into our boxes. This makes sense. We, we know this. That we, we're pretty sure about that. The Pharisees had a box, and Jesus did not fit inside of that box. And so they discounted him. They were not willing to expand it, to have Jesus expand their understanding of God. They were not okay with that. And we don't like going outside of this box because outside of there is all kinds of unknown and uncertainty. And we don't like, we don't like this stuff. It makes us very uncomfortable. We, we like our box. And so when something comes into our life that does not fit inside of our box, like an experience with Jesus, like, uh, like you know, five lines is what you could do this with, saying, do it in four. Actually, do it in three. Do you know you can do that with three lines? That doesn't fit. So we come up with excuses. Not enough lines. Sorry. Too many dots. Unsolvable. Impossible. Can't do it. I think God wants to expand our view of him. And so when God takes your life or an aspect of your relationship with him and expands it to allow for deeper and new experiences with him, most people have two responses. First response is to be a Bartimaeus. No hesitation. You move without hesitation, towards God, and you follow him into the unknown. Remember the posture of Bartimaeus. Robe flying, coins scattering. Movement. Or option number two. We try to shrink back to what we know is safe and comfortable. Because we like our box. Let me give you an example. I don't think I've shared this story before. So I've been at Bible school, SMBI, I think, seven or eight terms. Long time, enough to see some crazy stuff happen. And one of those crazy things that happened was I was talking with this, I was working with this, with this young man. He's about my age now. Or he, he was my age when I'm now. He was about 22. And uh, it was late at night. We were in the hall. It was dark. It's kind of spooky. And um, we're talking. And it's really challenging this man because there was one area in his life that he would not surrender. He would not give it up. And many, many people have been pushing on this. 
pushing on this. Give it up. And that night, he surrendered that area of his life to God. He was a Christian, but there was just an area that Satan had a foothold, and he uh, didn't really want to let go of that. And that night, he gave it up. And I was working with him, and I was talking to him, and we're standing here, and it's, it's kind of like this. So the wall is right here, and he's on the wall. I'm talking to him. And the second that he said, yes, I will give it up, bang, collapsed straight to the floor, out. And there was, the hallways over here, and there was such an intense pressure and weight of evil in that place that I could not explain it any other way than I believed that that was a spiritual attack. Because he collapsed instantly, could not stand. Now, two responses. First one. This is really dark. He's probably just tired. Did you fall asleep? Like, what's going on? Like, it's just, it's, there was a door that creaked. He probably got scared. And like, <laughs> that's, okay, that's, not, that's me not wanting to get out of my box because I don't, I don't like things that I'm unfamiliar with and I don't like being stretched out of that. Second option is, hey, God just showed me something and I probably have responsibility now. I have new responsibility. This, you talk about a stretched box. I had no idea what to do. I was like, what? Is he dying? <laughs> like, what's happening? And that's where the Holy Spirit, thankfully, <laughs> knew what to tell me to do. And, but there again, like, new responsibility, new challenges, new identity, almost. New power, given, just like that. What am I going to do with that? Do I try to explain it away and get back to this box of the known? What do we do when God stretches our reality? And I was talking to a friend of mine recently. And we were talking about this. And because uh, I, I knew I was going to preach about this. And uh, so I was asking. I was like, you know, one of my friends had been in the mission field. And he, he was just saying, like, you know, there's just not really that much spiritual like oppression that Christians face here. He's like, if you've ever been in like a foreign country as a missionary, he's like, you will experience spiritual oppression. And he's like, he's like, I don't know what it is, but we just, it's just like it's not here nearly as much. And we we're like, huh? That's, why? Maybe that's his own experience, but <clears throat> we're just like, why? Why is that? And the girl over to my right, we were out kayaking. She said, Well, I think it's because people they don't. They don't, they're not comfortable with it, so they don't see it, or they don't try to see it. Or when they do see it, they explain it away and they hide it, because it's outside of their box. And I was like, whoa. I don't know if that's universal or reality, but she got that from somewhere, and I'm guessing it's from the experiences in her church and in her life. And it's pretty scary. Let's not be that way. When God expands our understanding and deepens our relationship with him, let's not try to get back to where we're comfortable. So the, the analogy that I get, is I think in word pictures, but I just like, is Jesus like trying to expand your reality and you are like clinging on for dear life, like don't take it? Are you like not letting go? Like, please, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't want to go there. I just get this flag like flopping in the breeze. So if you're not sure God is trying to do that, ask him. 
I have three questions for you that I think you should ask yourself. Please write these down. These are important. The first question is this. <clears throat> Am I comfortable with a spiritual disability that I have? Am I comfortable with a spiritual disability that I have? Another way of wording that is, do I prefer the known discomfort to the unknown terror? Second question is, will I let God expand my understanding of him? Will I let God expand my experience, my relationship, and my life outside of what I know and outside of what is comfortable with me? Beyond my little box of safety here. Will I let God expand that? Or will I fight against that and try to get back to it? Because human beings have a remarkable ability to get back to what is comfortable. It is truly remarkable. And the third question is, do I have the posture of Bartimaeus? Do I have the posture of Bartimaeus where... He's sitting there, and he just like throws his only possession out the window and goes to Jesus. Action. He was waiting. He was ready. Do I have the posture of Bartimaeus? Better take my money here before someone steals it.